Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The dysfunction in Vancouver. <laughs> but we'll start with some candy talk. Go ahead, Russ. Well, you know, I, I think about a month ago, I posted on social media that, that Neko was having financial troubles. And Neko's are those... Candy wafers that look, I, I, Peter, I, you're exempt from this conversation because you may never even have seen the candy. Um, mm. But it's one of those things where you, if, you, if you're around my age and a little younger, you grew up with this stuff. You saw trick-or-treating. It was a fairly cheap candy. And when there weren't like a thousand candies on the shelf, it was always pretty prominent. I want to say they've been around since the 1900s. And so yeah. the other I mean, just to describe them, it's basically a roll of flat wafers yes. about maybe a 32nd an inch thick with very varying flavors, everything from like anise to clove to lemon. It was like a, a variety of flavors in one pack. And that's the key thing about them was it's not like they're the greatest tasting. It tastes fine. Like the taste is fine. It's definitely sugary. Like there's no way around it. But they did have interesting flavors, the clove and, and the licorice, I think, was in there. Anise, yeah. Yeah, anise. Those are the ones where I enjoyed those the most because you can't really get those anywhere. And then even their chocolate is kind of weird, and some people really do like it. So it was one of those things that you got used to as a kid. And so I bought a couple packs, and I ate them, you know. And I, I probably would buy it a couple times a year. But apparently they make the candy hearts, too, which I didn't know. Oh yeah, with the little yeah. yeah. So those I wasn't as big a fan of, but I but I hope somebody did purchase them like they <laughs> claimed they did and bring them back and reinvent them because every once in a while I just like the taste. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I grew up uh, and as Russ knows, my apprentices may or may not know as well. I grew, my my parents owned a grocery store in South Philadelphia. Been around since the nineteen twenties. Recently sold it about five years ago, so they're retired. Necco was definitely a candy that we sold in the store. I remember as soon as Mike Russ mentioned it, I was like, yep, I, this is – I remember this. What I remembered about it was it was so easy to hide them. Because <laughs> yes. Any little wrap package that yep. was easy to carry. You could slip them in a little pocket, in your little yep. pocket, and be able to – you know, if you needed a little quick sugar, you know, quick sugar kick. Do you, yeah. do you, do you that, remember – do you remember those? It, it was they were like strips of like wax paper with like little convection, a con, uh, uh, convectionary sugar, like little dot. They had little dots. And they still have the dots. Yeah, yeah. they were multicolored. It was rainbow from like yeah. red at one end to like blue at the other end. God knows what the carcinogen level was with the dyes. <laughs> it was, too much work. It was too red, much work. red dye number nine. No, but what, whatever it was, it's going to cause cancer. You're going to if you eat too much of this, it's going to give it. to they got it from Love Canal, which was an air, which was an area in, in Western New York that got uh, that got banned for 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 like dioxin and PC. Yeah. No, I, I, I'll tell you, and this was weird. I was. Well, we could ask X, since X here. We could ask him X, your your thoughts on the Neko candy right now. They closed the factory. No. <laughs> no, they did. Yes, well, that's why yes, the best yes. how it's made. So we'll tell you all about Joe Cola. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best How It's Made of all time. Like, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the show How It's Made, which is yeah. Oh yeah, I love that fun. show. Yeah, that's yeah. one that that factory is one of the best ones. Actually, it's the point where I bought those candies because I saw that show. Not yeah. Joel Cola. Take a boost. Take a boost is X preferred drink. Um, oh yeah, no, 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 no. I, I was I was flipping through the channels a couple days ago, and this movie, which I watched a little bit of, it wasn't the greatest. Uh, bad, called Battle of the Sexes it was about Bobby Riggs and uh, Billy. Oh Jean. yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. And he comes out. He comes out in for the for the big match, wearing a sugar daddy's jacket and carrying a big tennis racket. And if you remember, sugar daddies and sugar babies. Sugar daddy was basically caramel on a stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. I liked it, but I, I don't think it's around anymore. I think they got it. The type of thing that you put it in your mouth. It literally, you've been into that. Whatever dental work was in there, <laughs> right out on that stick. Yeah. <laughs> 
Peter, this is the thing I, I, I enjoy about going up to Canada and being, you know, so close to the border. I got to enjoy you know, Canadian candy. And I personally think that Coffee Crisp is the best candy bar ever. Oh, um, you know what? That's that's the big one. When my kids used to go out on Halloween and you got the mini Coffee Crisp, yes. we, my wife and I would totally plunder the candy bags for the Coffee Crisp. Are they coffee, <laughs> is, this co it's like a, is this like a coffee-flavored Nestle Crunch bar? Or what it's, a, it? it's like a big Kit Kat, but it's coffee-flavored in the middle. It's yeah, it, it's kind of like a hybrid Kit Kat, but it's yeah. it's square. I but like this, arrow bars. Those are the ones that I like. Yeah, well, this is, this is the thing that I, I've never understood. Okay, we have Mars bars in the U.S., Mars bars are basically Milky Ways with almonds. Mm -hmm. In Canada, Mars bars is a Milky Way. It's the there's no no almonds. It's just you know the nougat and the and the uh, and the caramel. There's no Three Musketeers in Canada. I'll tell you why there's no. There used to be. I, there used to Canada. be Three Musketeers, but it's gone. Oh man, Three Musketeers. No almonds, so hey, a little thing about Mars bars. If you go up to Scot, if you go to Scotland, you can get a deep fried Mars bar. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And there can get deep fried Twinkie. Yeah, here's my theory the about deep fry everything. <laughs> my theory is nuts are way more expensive in Canada than they are in the States. So I bet you Eminem Mars probably is like, you know what? It's not pay it's not worth it to pay the extra over here just to produce it in Canada. Yeah, deep fried Twinkies, deep fried Oreos, but this one I don't understand. Deep fried butter. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So no, you're taking this. That's just people thinking, looking for a straight line to, to just, just. That's keep, like right out of the Simpsons. I actually, what I really <laughs> want to try, I haven't seen it yet, and I want to actually figure out. I don't have a deep fryer, but I want to try and deep fry bacon. I think that's the pinnacle of deep frying. <laughs> is to deep fry something is basically fire. fat. Oh yeah, that would just be that would just be deep fried fat. Deep fried lard, deep fried Crisco. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't eat before the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I was like really hungry, you know, when there's things running around, like I'm hungry. I'm like, ah, oh, grab something, grab something, nah, and I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll make it through. No, we're not gonna talk. What, no, no cheesesteak, no sub. Come on. I got nothing today. I got nothing. All right. Well, let's. We do have a little bit of news before we uh, before we start. Mitch, well, let's let's let's, 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 let's get started. Let's, we, got, we got news. Okay, then Anthony, then Peter. The news. Go ahead. Okay. Well, let's do the intro. Yep. All right. Hello, hockey world. It is Thursday. July 26th, 2018. I'm Michael Agello, Neko Wayfair Warrior. I'm Anthony Mangione, Reese's Pieces aficionado. I'm Peter Tessier, who always wants to eat more. <laughs> yeah. I'm Russ Cohen. I kind of like them all. So none of you guys are going on this no sugar diet out there. Um, I am Eklund. You're watching Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. The podcast comes every Monday through Friday at this time to fill you in on the comings and goings in the hockey world. And um, before we, we start, we have the breaking news. news. We do. <laughs> the Islanders have just announced that they have hired Mitch Korn as their director of goaltending. So he's going to be joining yeah. uh, Piero Greco uh, in Toronto, from formerly the Marlies, and he will be Mitch Korn is the director of goaltending. Okay, it's interesting because. I looked at his Twitter yesterday when we weren't sure what was going on, and it still said Capitals as of yesterday's show. Yeah, wow. this 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 is this is Lou uh, pillaging the Maple Leafs. You know, he could he could offer he could offer somebody a promotion, and I, you know, Piero Greco was the goaltending coach for the Marlies, so I don't blame him for taking a job in the in the NHL. But I had heard that Corn was going to go to the Islanders like a couple weeks ago. It just hadn't hadn't happened, and. This I I think Lou any chance he gets is going to like poke and stab at the at the Leaf organization. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's that. I think I mean I, I get what you're saying, but I, I think I think this is I think Lou has always shown a a, a love of familiarity for him. Like that he yes. if he know if he knows somebody, he's just he's definitely going to give that person the upper hand. You know, he that's the way he, that's the way he plays it. I think that's, that's probably what this is. <coughs> Mitch Korn will now have to fix Robin Leonard, which I think is doable because, like I said, I thought Leonard had a good year <coughs> last year. But I, the problem – One thing I have to wonder, though, Russ, the position being director of goaltending, I wonder if this is going to be more of an overarching thing in Pierre. I wonder if Greco is going to be more the – I mean, I'm sure Greco is going to take some some marching orders from Korn, and he's going to be the one that is talking in the goalie's ear. Yes, you're right. But, but he's still going to have an influence. I think – the end of the day, though, I don't know if the Islanders' defense is going to be 
so much better than what the Sabres had that that's going to be a help to to Leonard. So that's that's where it may still take another year for these kinds of changes to really have a great impact. We'll see. Isn't this more of a Barry Trotz hiring? Like, I mean, I would say, oh yeah. I mean, this guy has followed Trotz to, from you know to two teams now. Yes. And yeah. uh, and but and to have like. It is a little. It is a lot of goaltending help for this particular team. <laughs> like you know, in the day and age, we didn't have goalie coaches or whatever. That's. It's just like we now have two. That's right. Two. But it seems to be the pattern now, right? I mean, yeah. yes. now are hiring. You have a goal. You have a regular pro level goalie coach who deals with the pro goalies all the time, and then you've right. got like, for example, with the Flyers, you mentioned it yesterday. You got Kim Delabaugh who deals with Elliot and deals with with Neuvirth. Yeah. And then you've got Brady Robinson, who's the goalie development coach, who goes around with the other prospects and keeps yeah. an eye on them all over. So and I, it's more of a pattern, I think. It makes sense. I mean, it is, it is you know, like, like, you know, our buddy Kevin Allen has said before on this show and other places that this sport should be called goaltending. <laughs> I mean, it really, I mean, it is as important as it gets, you know, I mean, and, and it makes sense to have it. And I know I have a good friend who was, um, who was Yarrow Halak's goalie coach all the way up, you know, and, and went and worked with him when he was with the Canadians and a little bit when he was with the Islanders too. And it just, you know, you get you, goalie coaches have, you know, specific goalies they sometimes hook on to and stuff like that too. You see that so there's certain goalies that want certain goalie coaches with them wherever they go. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for, I'm happy for the, you know, all the goalie coaches out there that there's going to be more opportunities for them because there's definitely a lot of goalie coaches out there. Here's the thing. The only team that has a unique setup is the Rangers because They've got Eric Raymond, who is their Hartford goalie coach. And then Benoit Lair is actually an associate coach. He's the only goaltending coach who's an associate coach in the league, has been forever. And as long as Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist is there, he, his job is safe. Wow. I didn't, I, remember, I didn't really realize that. I never realized, I never realized they had those. He was actually assistant coach. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, let's let's start with the the, the big news from yesterday because I figure this is going to dominate uh, the next at least twenty minutes because I, I I can go on about the Vancouver Canucks because I've always been very strong in my opinions of this franchise. Um, it sort of came right, before you go. Sorry, he has actually been the assistant coach and goaltending coach since two thousand and four. Think about that, Alaire. Wow. Alaire. Well, I'm in coaches who've been um who've been coaching the team since 2004 in the NHL. Um, okay, uh, Trevor Linden. It was announced. Uh, Elliot Friedman broke it last night that Trevor Linden was stepping down uh, as president of the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, the indication after the announcement was that Jim Benning is now going to be the direct communicator between management and ownership. Um, Peter, the thing the thing that came out. That I saw, and I, I can't. It was a uh, Farhan, Farhan from from TSN that just confirmed everything that I have thought about the Canucks. That basically, that Linden uh, and they went their separate ways because Linden was more in in line with them doing a rebuild, and that ownership was basically saying they believe the team was closer. And more and closer being competitive than Linden did, and this is this is the this is the uh, I think the yeah the whole situation in Vancouver over the last few years. The, you know, Russ will tell you, and he I'm sure will tell you in a few minutes. I think they have a lot of great young talent. I think their ownership is absolutely nuts because they they're too if they if they rebuild. For two years, they get Jack Hughes in the twenty in the twenty nineteen draft. That team is like Toronto. I mean, they 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 would have you know really good young core players, and they have the support players that I think, and the, and the goaltending and Demko, who I think is going to be a really good goaltender, that they could really jump up. But they keep shooting themselves in the foot, and I and I think it's clear that it's the ownership. Well, right. there's, there's no question. Well, go ahead. No, you go, Russ. I've got I've got a big spiel on this. Okay. You know, I was going to say, look, I mean, there's no question the ownership doesn't want to tear it down. And last year, their attendance is 95.5%, which is light for Canada. Like, you know, for a Canadian market, it should be better than that. Yeah, so, attendance is, but then you look at actual seats in the stands. Oh, no, and then it's worse. Tickets, right? It gets yes. way worse. And it's right? worse. And so the idea is... I think ownership is, you know, worried about, hey, if we do try a full rebuild, 
how much are we going to lose in the process? So I think they're trying to do both and stay competitive as they can and rebuild a little bit. And they have done a good job bringing in young guys. So look, if, if Trevor Linden wasn't on board with that, that's fine. I'm not sure he was that big of a deal in the organization anyhow, to be honest. So I don't look at this as a big loss for the Canucks. People are always going to pick on the Canucks right now. And in that market, it gets crazy. But at the end of the day, I still think they're doing a lot of good things. And I do actually like a lot of their players. And next year when they have goaltending, they might just surprise people. And I think, and and Quinn Hughes for sure next year, maybe even this year. You know what? I'm going to take it easy on the Canucks. I am. Well, this this problem has gone a long way back. And some people, such as Mike Gillis, knew how to stick handle some of it. Others didn't. And in this case, I think Trevor Linden was brought in um, because they had a bit of a PR problem. And they had to bring in someone who had a very strong reputation within the fan base and the general community. Linden did. But as reports came out when he got hired, he didn't know, you know, which door was the bathroom, which was the vet president's office. I mean, he was lost when he started. This isn't in his repertoire. He was there as a figurehead. But you get more comfortable. You learn more about the management things. You start taking on your role seriously. I think Lyndon wanted to do that. It wasn't always cohesive. It wasn't always a, a correct message. But if you're building an organization, the owner of the comp- of the business, pick any business. We're just talking hockey, but pick any business. He hires the people to execute what he wants the business to do. Trevor Linden's job is to put the people in place that will execute what the owner wants. But he formulates a strategy. The GM and everyone under Linden are the ones who execute the tactics. Then it goes down to the coach who has the micro tactics of what happens on the ice. And they all have to align. You can't have one out of the other. Well, the one that's always out of the other is the ownership in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So I've had a long sort of connection with the Canucks. I used to live in Vancouver. I I know some people and blah, blah, blah. Um, Back when the the Canucks farm team was the Manitoba Moose in in Winnipeg and Dave Nonis had been the GM and Mark Crawford was the GM after Burke was fired and Mark Crawford was the coach, Aquilini got a hold, you know, the Aquaman, as they call him in Vancouver, Francesco Aquilini, his brother, they bought the company after a lawsuit with um, Tom Galliardi, who's the owner of the uh, Stars. And if for those who don't know, Galliardi and Aquilini ran into each other in the bathroom during the court hearings. And Galliardi came back into court and said he was threatened by Aquilini. It's all public record. Like this is, I mean, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. So, Anyways, um, Nonis and, and Crawford went and met with Francesco Accolini and said, you have to let us do our jobs or fire us right now. That's, that's how quickly he got involved in the operations of the team. He, they both went in as a unified force. So your GM and your coach basically say, can us now or get off our backs? Wow. That's how fast it happened within the first year of ownership. And it's never been great. Mike Gillis was able to stick handle it, but he also had success. Right. Right. He and, and now and then and then when things started going wrong. So then the Aquilini family gets involved in the interviews after the firing of Alain Vigneault. They brought in the Aquilini's mother. She was in the interview and she fell asleep. She fell asleep while they were wow. interviewing Tortorella. Like, why is she even there? Well, my mother it conducts it's all the interviews, so I can understand. Yeah, it's insane, and I, I this comes from a very, very, very solid source, and, and I don't dispute it in the yeah, least. No, I've heard that. Um, I've heard I mean, that. The, the, the whole the the two brothers, particularly Francesco, are 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 out of control when it comes to control. Yeah, they are total and utter control freaks. And it's one, it's one thing, it's one thing that manifests itself in the management of the team. It's another thing when it manifests itself in the roster decisions. And that's, that's where, that's where I have the problem. You, you, like I said, you have, you have kids like Besser, you have a a young goaltender like Demko, you've got Pedersen, who I think is going to be a very good NHLer. And 
over the last couple of years, the decisions to sign stopgap guys like yeah. Vanek and Gagne and Delzato and signing Louis Erickson to, on, on a madness. it's it's absolute madness. And the it, thing is that they're operate they're operating like the like the leaps of the Ferg, John Ferguson and Burke era, where it's yeah. instant gratification and help me right now. It's like yeah. you don't build a hockey team. The, the Aquilini's mandate. And it's been said many times, it's not, this isn't like private knowledge, but it's just, it gets obscured and stuff is to be competitive every year, but you go through your cycle. And if there is one year you could literally sit back and take a break and focus on getting Hughes, it's this year because you don't have the Sedins. And that was the big thing. This is your free year to go right to the toilet with all the great talent you have build around it and stop signing Jay Beagle to three-year deals and sign him to a one-year deal to fill in the hole for a year and be bad. But I think they're afraid of losing fan base. That's the problem. Yeah. Turn the screws for Hughes. I I don't know what you want to call it, but (laughs) lose for Hughes. It is a very different fan base, you know, and it's something that I think has to be taken into account. It's, it's, it's like, you know, and I mean, I learned, I learned this mostly. It was interesting during the Olympics or not, just like being out there for that period of time. And living with a Vancouver Canucks fan who took me in and I was, you know, living with him and, and basically talking to a bunch of different, uh, took me in when my hotel was overbooked. It was a great story. But anyway, I was spent the time out there with the Canucks fan and, and, and then a lot of his friends and he's gone on to do great things. Um, uh, that would be Richard Lote, who I, you know, did, did five hole for food and all that yeah. stuff. He's a really great guy, but he's, he's, he's a big Canucks guy. And I learned a lot about Canucks fans just hanging out with them and talking to them, and they were very, they were very different than any than you know fan base that I had been around before. They they are definitely, um, they love their they love their guys. I mean, at that point, you know, um, you know, uh, Kessler was, was you know such a big deal there, um, and he, you know, and and Linda, of course, was still was was revered. You know, like was was completely revered. No questions asked. The Sedins were revered. Um, you know, even even like McLean, the old goalie. You know, they 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 really Alex, they have a, Alex Burrows. Yeah, they have a real yeah. admiration for this, and and they and this was you know at that time too. Remember, this is 2010, so the next year they would go to the Stanley Cup Finals. So this is a good Canucks team, but their fans were definitely, you know, I got the sense that they've been bad day because they have been bad for a while, but they've been patient, you know, incredibly patient, um, more patient than you would think a Canadian fan base would be, you know, in general. I, you have to remember too. The Vancouver Canucks have been the Stanley Cup final three times. Yeah. Okay. 82, 94, and 2011. Yeah. Two times they lost in game seven. The first time it was, they shouldn't have never been there. Yeah. But other than that, that franchise has a terrible historical winning percentage in its 48 years of being. It's brutal. Yeah. And it's going to take them a long time to even be like a historically 500 team. And they were and, and, bad for a very long time. Yeah. And I, I think, I really think it's a misnomer to say that Canadian, I think Canadian cities don't have, I mean, I heard forever that Toronto would never have patience for the rebuild and they bought into it hook, line, oh, and, and think. You're right. And this brings it's, up Peter's, bring, it's brings a, up Peter's point. Go ahead. Great transition because it brings up Peter's point to a T that because the, the Leafs fans were okay with the transition once that was evident from the top down all the way through, right? That when, yeah. when they said that when they made it clear that that's what was going to happen. But it's also the largest fan base in the sport. Yeah, They were okay with the with tanking. They were okay with the fact that they were going to have pain as we talked about. They were upfront about it, right? But when, when, yeah, when, when, management and the, and the, and the GM, the ownership and the coaches were all on the same page. Well, and, and this is this is the this is a, a I think a, an indicator of the difference between t- the Toronto situation and the Vancouver situation because what Peter was talking about is Lyndon was not able to manage up, meaning yeah. manage his owners right. and manage the expectations. Shanahan came in; uh, he was brought he was brought in by Todd uh, um, Lewicki, and and. The you know the ownership the MLSE board basically did not buy in on any kind of re- rebuild retool until it was clear that that team was not going anywhere. They fire Randy Carlisle and then Shanahan I think it was in February of 2015 went to the board and said, "Okay, our only option is to rebuild." And they and they finally said, "Okay, go ahead." 
you maybe you can't do it. I, I think you can do it in Vancouver. I think if you explain it to explain it to people, but the ownership has to be on board, and it's, it's clear that okay. not. Yeah. And the only the only the only I think the only fan base that won't accept the rebuild is the psychotic fan base in Montreal because you know Bergevin seems just. I think held hostage by them that even if it's the best thing for that organization, they're not going to do it because they're afraid that the fan base will revolt. But there's yeah. plenty of fan. There's plenty of teams that will not strip down to the bottom. The Flyers wouldn't do it. The Rangers won't do it. There's a lot of teams that won't do it, Mike. Yeah, okay. I think here's 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 Montreal, and I think that I mean, and part of I mean, and I'm I've gone on record as saying that's what I like about Montreal. Like, so I mean, and to me, I've always loved that aspect of them. And as a fan, you love that aspect of the Flyers too, because you just don't, you don't want. I mean, I am not okay get, throwing, doing the big gamble. Like as a as a hockey fan myself, I'm not okay throwing the big gamble that that we might just get, you know, Austin Matthews, me. Here's a here's a little bit of an update. Elliot Friedman just posting a few minutes ago. He's hearing that uh, the serious contender for the open job in Vancouver is former LA Kings GM Dean Lombardi. Well, that's not a bad idea. I mean, it's not. It's not. I mean, it's not. And I was just about to say, like the two things. When I think of two fan bases that were that were that I, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between Toronto and the Islanders in some ways, you know. And you know, you bring in. Shanahan and that sign of solidifies it. You bring in Lamorello, that kind of solidifies it. In order to in order to make this big change, you really kind of have to have a new person in there who's going to be a big change type person. Um, Lombardi, though, <laughs> he's, he's an interesting character. Yeah, uh, because I mean, the thing about Lombardi is, I mean, he has had success. There's no two ways about that, right? And he's and he's been very successful. He though is before he was successful, the the, the mo on him was always that he was a survivor first. And that he would do anything to make sure he didn't get fired, right? So he, he was the kind of guy who would, and that that implies very strongly listening to, um, listening to ownership, doing what the ownership says they should do, that kind of thing. And to me, and that's and 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 every every person has this to a degree. No one wants to get fired, but you know, there's certain guys. Chiarelli also has the same kind of uh, thing on him. But you know, to me, that Lombardi. Now maybe this has changed since he's won these Stanley Cups and has confidence now. Yeah, but act. This is the funny thing about Lombardi. Even when, let's say, this happens and the Canucks come into Philly, they won't be able to show like a video of Dean Lombardi helping out the Flyers because we never saw him. Yeah, I have no idea he was. Uh, as a writing his description per Ron Hextall in the previous times, we've asked him about what exactly Lombardi's job is. He works on quote special projects. This is this is this is Hextall. I mean, let's I mean, let's be honest. This is Hextall thanking it, Lombardi for giving Hextall yeah, yeah. a gig, right? Like that double like, secret uh, probation. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. This, is, this is you know you know you helped me out when I was getting going, and I'm gonna. I'm sure he had input in certain things. Oh, and and, and no question, no question, Hexy respects Lombardi and everything like that. But this yeah, is, I mean, Lombardi can help anybody. Well, this doesn't is a temporary thing, you know, for Lombardi. Obviously, it was, and I think part of the reason they never gave him a really big role was it was Lombardi's always been looking for something else, right? This, this is right. Well, Anthony, don't you, don't you think don't you think that if like this comes to pass and, and and Lombardi comes in as team president, he's been a general manager, you know, his entire career. Don't you think this undermines Benning a little bit? Well, the thing is, is that he has always been a proponent Lombardi. He's not a quick fix guy. He builds. Right. right. He Hex he this Hextall operates very much from Dean's you know what, playbook. What he learned, yeah, you're right. The building up, so it kind of goes the opposite of what if it is Lombardi. To me, his pattern has been that's not he's not a quick fix guy. He's going to build the structure from underneath. So if the report is the reason why Linden and parted with the Canucks over the how quick the response is in terms in terms of their rebuild or using more of a rebuild. It kind of it's a muddled message then. Right. No, but you know what? Here's here's the thing. Benning has always been a talent evaluator, right? Yes. And so at the end of the day, Lombardi could definitely work with a guy like that because he had Michael Fuda in LA. And yep. I think I think the only mistakes Lombardi made were just late in his tenure where he signed a couple of bad deals, which yeah. now I think he could use that wisdom to help the Canucks because they didn't have the greatest luck signing contracts either. And I think that's where Lombardi will be of the biggest help. And the yeah, biggest, biggest, you have sorry, to give sorry. GM. A, you have to give the a GM who makes bad signings after winning three Stanley Cups a break. Like you know, what I mean that to yes. me that like you're going to have to sign some bad signings when you've won that many when you've won Stanley Cups like that. You know, like yeah. the reality is that players are going to get more because they did more for you. 
his biggest mistake was trusting Mike Richards, basically. Um, yeah, well, I still think that situation, that situation. You know, I'm, I, saying, I, I'm just saying, in terms of they could have, they could have used the compliance buyout on him, and he trusted him because the guy helped him win two Stanley Cups, and then in yeah, the end, I, I, I give him credit for that actually, and I, I think at the end of the day, I it's still, loyalty. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, yeah, slamming I know him. what you're saying. I mean, that that backfire on him, right? So I do get that. They, they, they also got out of that contract, so it really didn't backfire that much, right? But I, I, and it does bring up a really interesting question. Maybe we could go like a little bit more macro on this thing to, to the to the panel since we've got so many people here today. And that is really what is a rebuild. You know, like that is something that I've thought about many times. We talk about it all the time: slow rebuild, fast rebuild. You know, oh, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna take, they're gonna break it down to nothing. They're just, I mean, the Canucks have, you know, you can say they have taken forever to rebuild, but they also have actually amassed. Like, if you were doing a slow, re, if they were doing a slow rebuild, you could sit there and they had had worse records the last couple of years. You would still be kind of okay with the kind of with the amount of talent they did that they brought in. Like they actually have done what you would do in a rebuild. Like if you broke it down, you would. I mean, they have some seriously talented players. They might not have the you know game stopper generational talent, but only one only one team gets that guy, right? So that's like to me that's that's a, that's a huge risk. And yet they built pretty well. And you know, and there was the issue that they had the Sadines there still, and that was always something that you know. So I mean, what is a rebuild? Like to me, that is always such a Interesting question. Like I, I'm, sure. I'm going through it with the Rangers right now because I've for two days straight I've talked different <laughs> about the Rangers. Yesterday about Panarin and the Rangers. Today about um, the Rangers and Pacioretty, which is something that you know I, I always you know I've said many times I think Pacioretty is going to end up in, the, in Florida long term, but the Rangers might trade for him this year. Yeah, but okay. Then the, this is the thing that doesn't that doesn't add up. Is like okay. I can see the Rangers maybe trading for Panarin because Panarin, you know, the it would make sense that Panarin would want to play in New York. But why would Jeff Gordon trade two or three young assets to get him when he can simply wait? And now, you know, they're not going to be competitive this year. They're not going to be a playoff team this year. No, there's a reason because they're the Rangers, and because they're the and that that is the reason because the fact is if you get Panarin in the New York. Now you and it's already not hard to get players to come to New York to play for the Rangers, and it gets easier with Panarin. It gets easier the more star talent you add. But they have to have an inkling they could sign him. But here's what I think they could do: what what they could do is if John Tortorella says, "Hey, you know what? Get me Kevin Hayes. You could sign him to a contract, and maybe the Rangers trade him Hayes and Spooner. If they do that, that gets them out of their last couple of contract negotiations. Then I could maybe see bringing Panarin over." Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and like like we like we mentioned last week about San Jose and like if if Columbus got hurdle, then that would make sense in terms of a deal between San Jose and Columbus for for Panarin because at least you're getting a retainable asset for three or four years as a good player. You have to if you're Columbus, you have to get something that helps you. You have to get something that it's not something you're never going to get equal value for Panarin because he's one of the top five wingers in the league. But you have to get at least something that helps you. No, and, like as an example, you bring Hayes over to Columbus. He's already familiar with certain players. He knows the coach. Like that's sure. a guy who could have an impact there. I right. agree. Now, see to me, when I think of this whole breaking it down to nothing thing, it's worked for, and, and that's you know, and Captain Neo, our, my our buddy, you know, says many times, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins did this, and they. They, you know, by fielding an AHL team for a decade, got Malkin, Crosby, and 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 Flurry, and you know, and and you know, and and Stahl, and players like that, that they managed to get these high picks, and it worked out for them, and they won, and they're and they're still good. Um, the Leafs did this, right, the same way. It's worked out for them. Um, you could say the Hawks did this, and it's worked out. It, it worked out for them. Yep. But 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 there's a lot of bad teams beyond those three. Yeah, and the LA the LA Kings that were for you got Dowdy. I don't think, you got I don't think the Kings are different. They were not. They were never as dismal as those teams we're talking about. Like, I mean, they were bad, but they they were more like what the Canucks have done, you know, which is like they were in yeah, and out of it, in and out of it. Exos always described it though as said they really kind of when he took the job in Philadelphia that it was, you know, they were kind of stripped down pretty 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 far down. Whereas when he came to Philadelphia. The expect you know it's a little the expectation yeah. obviously being different here being in Philly, um, but it was kind of that way that they were a little further down the ladder. They were they were further down, and, and in Philly you had, you know, when he came here you had Giroux and you know you had Voracek, you had players, you had stars here that were making big money that were already here. So when you have stars, that changes your timetable, right? Which is like that that changes the timetable in the rebuild. If the Leafs had a couple stars, which they didn't. You know that would that have changed their timetable on how you know 
they, look at Buffalo. They have tried it too, and it hasn't worked at all for them, right? They've 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 tried to tear it down to nothing. It's where it's where. Well, that's be, that's because Tim that well that's because Tim Murray tried to rush it along. I mean, if you look at it, Eichel has been a success. He's a very good player. You know, Reinhardt well, took. Of course, a he is. You know, I mean, there's no question Eichel's going to be. That's not right, it. That, it's, that's it's, a, that's a, that thrown into your lap. That's fine. It's it's not it's not it's not the players that you get because you tanked, or it's the it's the players you surround those sure. players with. It, it's not Reinhardt. That's true. You surround them. You can get those phenomenal players at any time. So, you know, if you do it the right way, you can get those guys at any point. I think so. Right, but what, what I'm saying, what I'm saying, I'm saying uh, we're getting the end. Yeah, mute, yeah, mute, mute, mute yourself. For, there you go. Oh, no, no. Uh, Anthony, mute this. Want to log off? Log back in. Log off and log back in. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes that works. Okay. Yep. No echo. Okay. It'll probably. Let's talk about. Um. All right. But no, no. What I, was, what I was saying was, it's not the players that you draft. I mean, if you miss on those, you're you're in deep trouble. But you know, Buffalo didn't miss on him. Reinhardt's a good player. Eichel's a very, very good player. It's what you. Put and that's why I'll never read Anthony again. I'm, oh, hey, by your back. Good, good, good. It's it's what you put around them, and the mistake the mistakes that Tim Murray made was the the Kane Bogosian deal with Winnipeg, you know, signing free signing free agents, trying to rush it along when you basically just have to let it organically build. I mean, that's that's that that's the way to do it. And I think Edmonton has done it the wrong way. I think Buffalo has done it the wrong way, and now they're still in rebuild. I question this organically build term. Okay, I, I'm a, I'm throwing a, that's like, I mean. Organically build, you get Austin Matthews. Um, I mean, Matthews is great. So let's say, so look at look at Buffalo and and, and and Toronto, right? Buffalo gets Eichel, Toronto gets Matthews. Matthews is a better player than Eichel, but still, at the end of the day, you know, those are two big things. Then Marner, obviously, huge Nylander, other right. players that they've gotten, you know, they still haven't got, they, I mean, defensively, that you know, Morgan Riley's a good defense. They go out and they get a good goalie. They build, but it's like, how much of that was necessary to break them down to be horrible for five years in a row? Like, you know, there's just like how much of that was it really? You know what? I look at it this way too, Eck, and I'm, I'm with you a bit. Let's say in that draft, they would have not gotten the top pick and they would have gotten the fourth pick. And let's say they took Jesse Pugliarvi, they'd still be in rebuild. Well, yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of luck in this. And the, the, the Leafs are very fortunate. So much luck in this. That's, I mean, it, it, it's like, luck. if you're putting a frozen, like I hate, being out of control of situations and if you're putting a pros and cons list off behind your back you know on a whiteboard and you're sitting there you're like man oh man you're depending on so wait, much luck wait, wait hold on let, let, let's go talk about that though so take that the the 2016 draft and you have um you, well okay you have the line a line a and uh, matthews right? right you have those 22 and then you have the 2015 draft you have mcdavid and um eichel so if you're trying to tank in either of those drafts and you're doing your best and yes, some teams I tried both of them. Tried to do both. Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> and, 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 you, and you do it. Okay. Your, your board is not just looking at those top two guys, the obvious one twos, right? You're looking at down to five, seven and you're managing your plan on that. Yeah. Or, and or at least you should be. And I'm going to assume that Shanahan had that wisdom to think about what direction does the plan take if it doesn't work out with Matthews? What direction does it not work out with this? And and stuff. I don't think the Oilers did. No. And I'm not sure Buffalo did. Yeah, they just naturally sucked. No, they just naturally really, sucked. I mean, because the one thing is, is the interesting day, thing is the, the Leafs already had some good young assets already. They'd done their work beforehand. Right, this right. was just the cherry on top. If they just got into the top four, they're still in a good shape. In fact, Peter, they they sort of they sort of missed the boat early on because remember, in twenty for the twenty fifteen draft, if you finished dead last, the the lowest you could finish was was with the second pick. Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo, you know, finished dead last, and they got Eichel as the consolation prize for not winning the lottery and getting McDavid. The rules changed. It was yeah. you 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 could have ended up fourth with Toronto and they and and the percentage went down and they still won the lottery. But I mean so I mean if, if they were example, Mike if they so let's say they have Eichel and Matthews on, on leaves. And say they gotten that they've done that. Um they go they can't go out and get to Barris. Right. Well yeah. they so, well, like, so at the end of the day, I mean this whole thing plays out it's way it's way more than 
than this concept of like we're always blaming teams for not breaking it down or whatever. It's way more than that. It just it doesn't you can't I don't think you can break it down I, in the NHL. Anyway. I just think I just think the stark difference between Buffalo and Toronto, and I've written about this many times, is that when you know there, Toronto got started later in terms of the in terms of the rebuild, and what Buffalo did and what Toronto or Buffalo Toronto did and Buffalo didn't do is Toronto traded Kessel. They traded for enough. They stripped it down as far as possible. And Buffalo, they in the midst of tanking, in the midst of finishing dead last, they make the Kane deal because Kane wouldn't play for the rest of the year because he was injured. And they figured, okay, we can turn this around quickly. But they still finished last. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is this is ping pong ball luck, you know. Like I mean, there's a reason that Kane was being traded. He's he was a he was a oh, top. I'm not leader. saying Kane was a good loser. I'm saying. I'm saying they they did what Toronto did. Toronto got Matthews, and they got I mean they should have gotten McDavid, right? So if McDavid ends up in Buffalo, um, does that how much does that change things? You know, and and that that's what should have happened. And you know, like the Flyers should have had Patrick Keane, you know, um, and and these things these things go on. So to me, like you know, and I remember as a fan of the Flyers, like the one year you wanted them to like you know actually do terrible, you sit there and you watch them get to this first pick, and then they don't get the top pick overall, right? They and and you sit there and you know the lots of teams have gone through that. Colorado recently, you know, has gone through that too, where they're just like, Oh my gosh, you know, like we we got like the we got way far down where we should have where we should have gotten. To me, it's just it's so freaking risky to sit there and blame Vancouver Canucks for what they for not breaking it down enough. Um I, I'm saying they're sort of playing I'm I'm sort of saying that they're playing it down the middle. I think Benning has done a great job and like I said, it's like, you know, Besser and Pedersen and Yulevi and yeah. Demko. They've got a lot of good young That's players. Marner and all those guys. You're talking about you're talking about like right, but, but 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 where I'm saying Vancouver has fallen short is they continue they continue to try try to sort of play both ends against the middle and they say, Okay, we can be competitive. We're gonna sign Louis Erickson for six million dollars for seven years. No, that's dumb. It's stupid. I mean, I'm not saying that was a good signing. Obviously, it wasn't a good signing. And then, and, and you know, and then you know, the Leafs have and the Leafs made you know some bad signings along their way too. And so did you know everybody has right in in the middle of times when you wouldn't expect or crazy you were like mad at them make for making because they wanted to win or make the playoffs. Like last year was a perfect example. We had that big fight about the first round draft pick or the, the, the what the trade trade last year. The draft. Oh, please, I, I mentioned it yesterday. Not trading JVR and trading a second round pick for Thomas Buchanitz was probably the worst, the worst move that the Lamorello administration did, other than the Brian Boyle trade. It's but like, how is that the worst move that they've ever? Because done? you're not. They, they were not a serious contender for. They went seven games with Boston. Like this is the thing. I, I can't. Like they went seven games yeah. with Boston. Buchanitz was really good in the playoffs. JVR was good. I mean, you're looking at, and and if you don't. I mean, seven games is a, is a is a bounce, right? So you get to that point, they could have easily gone to the next round, and then who knows, you know? Then, I mean, no, okay. So I mean, it's hard to sit there. I, you know, at some point you got to go for it. Life is short, you know. Like it's right, a, right. But the year is passing by as we get Last year it. wasn't it. This year might be, but last year was not it. Not with the defense that they had, not overusing Freddie Freddie Anderson, and not trading for a thirty-five-year-old over-the-hill Thomas Buchanan. And anyway. now, you're different. Who have they added defensively? How are they going to play Freddie Anderson less? And you know, and I mean, to me, this this year is how's this year different? They had the they had the best the best backup in terms of pers in terms of statistics last year. McElhaney had a two point one four goals against and a nine thirty four save percentage. You don't think he could have started five more games? No, I do agree with that. But what's how they're going to do it differently this year? Are they going to do that? You know, are they going to start? I don't know. I mean, they made I mean, Garrett Sparks might be their backup. They, I mean, at the end of the day, this is Babcock. He's going to try to win every game he can. And I think that you know Montreal. Well, I mean, the, they have Carey Price. This is this. There, that's their that's their issue. You know, they've got Carey Price, and and when you have Carey Price, who? Why can't you be as good as the Vegas Golden Knights? You know, like to me, like that's how these teams are looking at it. They're like saying we've got we've got a great goalie. So. Yeah. Russ, you were, you had, you mentioned something about uh, the NCAA changing some rules. Yeah, so let's talk about this because it, it's been talked about for a little bit now, a little while now, and the NCAA has gone through an approval for rule change, and I'm getting, pulling up the article, so give me a sec. So basically now in conference, again, outer conference games don't matter because at the end of the day they don't count heaviest on the schedule, so this doesn't apply to that. But in conference games – they could be decided with a five-on-five, five-minute overtime or a just a shootout in overtime, 
Like this is now something that they could just decide on. It's like somebody running the rink an hour from now type thing. Like, oh, I'm they're sorry. running the rink an hour from now, so we got to do the shootout. Is that what's going to be like? Yeah, yeah. No, sorry. It's it's a five minute <laughs> three on three overtime, or or and and then you could have a shootout or just a shootout. So like that's the first thing. But then there's some other interesting ones. And they show a coin toss in there, just you know, just for the hell of it. Just like, yeah, yeah. Oh. But no, the other ones are more are more interesting though. The other ones, the first one is. Allowing the review, video review in situations where ejecting a player is being considered because such calls are critical and officials must currently make these determinations after viewing the play in real time. The men's So that's something right there that is very smart and could help the NHL too because we've seen so many times guys getting away with stuff that should have just been ejected and then we don't have to worry about what will player safety do because then so, they will have already done it. Well, but can, so the, can you, so the, can you so see the, the media problem with this? No, there's no problem with it. No, so, so they're gonna they're gonna review high sticking majors. They're gonna make sure that, high sticking's in its own category now. They're gonna make they're gonna make sure that uh, that 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 a player is not doing a Ric Flair or Mick Foley and breaking out the breaking out the the razor and cutting themselves. I mean, how many cameras are filming the average NCAA game, and how many games aren't filmed at all? Like, I mean, that you run into a situation like you know that's and that's. I do believe they have less than the NHL, but I also believe when I watch games. They get more of their video replay right than the NHL does. Okay, I mean, but I think that when you're talking about kicking guys out, like or or, or you know whether the guy should get kicked out or not, that's all right. That replay, that's fine. I'm very, but I'm not, I don't think I'm, I don't think it's a bad idea, and I think it should happen in the NHL. Here's another one. So here's another one: the redefining of slashing. So any forceful or powerful chop with the stick on an opponent's body, the opponent's stick, or on or near the opponent's hands, that in the judgment of the referee is not an attempt to play the puck should be penalized as slashing. We have seen this happen in the NHL too. Yes. Where now slashing is almost every play. If you think about it, there's so many slashes. It is something we've got to train the kids not to do. It's, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. It, it, it's it's habitual. It's like a part of their habits. Like to stop, to slow down a guy, you got to get a stick on him. That we you know that's what we were taught as kids. But it is absolutely stupid. Don't you think? I mean, it's like what's stupid. This, this, the, the, the fact that players slash players like they do is oh yeah that is crazy it's, it is. It's a, but it's a fact of it. it's a, until you penalize it every single every single time it's, it's got to be penalized every single time it's got to start at the youth level it's got to go all the way up that slashing is just not a part of the game well, now here's one here's one that dave Haxtell should pay attention to because it yes. didn't happen to him when he was in college hockey but it could happen to him as a pro coach uh for a substitution to be legal the player coming off the ice must be within five feet of the bench before the substitute may contact the ice. All right, okay, so. And Anthony's <laughs> laughing because we've seen the Flyers. So many men on the ice penalties, so I have to get the uh, Honestly, okay, I didn't and, and, and last year, you pointed out, Russ, and I, I kind of rightfully so, how Vegas like toyed with this constantly. Um, oh, yeah. They, they, they really pushed the too many men on the ice thing. I mean, I, I, if, I if, if it's me, I think the players coming on the ice should have to wear pennies and give them to the pennies when the players coming off the ice, just like you do in um yeah. <laughs> So here's another one. This in is another soccer. One. I think penny the penny the penny plan is how we should go with it. Yeah. This is another good one. A player who catches the puck must immediately place it on the ice for play to continue legally. If a player catches and conceals or throws the puck, a minor penalty should be assessed. I think that is something where we're seeing now, even in the NHL. Players do seem to hold on to it longer than like the one yeah, second you're supposed to. You can't catch the puck at all. Like, why are they? Why are we going to this direction? Why are we saying like, oh, you can catch it, but you got to right. We see them put it down right where they're sticking. When you catch it, you should. That's a penalty. I mean, you shouldn't be able to catch the freaking puck. Right, but haven't we seen instances where it's not a penalty? Um, yeah, though? I know, but it feels like this is like you know, it's like saying this is like a, if a slashing was going on, you know, and you oh, you could slash, you could you know, since we're all acknowledge you're going to slash people, just don't slash his head. You know, or just don't let it's like it's it's I don't know. To me, the catching the puck thing annoys the hell out of me. Like I can't stand when a player catches the puck, blows through the zone, puts it down. <laughs> I agree with that's like completely absurd. But it's but funny. Here's, that, here's that, the last one. Go ahead. To reduce the number of video review review situations, coaches must use a challenge to review goals scored where a potential high stick is involved or plays where the puck touches the netting out of the play and then leads to a goal. This makes sense because, again, how many times do you really want to stop a game? Yes, but I I hate to be contrary on all these things, but I will be for the fun of it. But I'm, <laughs> um, no, I mean, again, Mr. Counterintuitive I is I think that last year, 
Jordan, and I have Peter left, which sucks because it was just this is something that I would have liked to get his opinion on. I think last year, Peter Laviolette was screwed by this rule. Um, and, and because we know that Laviolette was like the king of calling timeouts. Right. And, and he was the king of, and he was really good at it in Philly, and he was really good at turning his team around. And during the Jets series, there was like a challenge that happened early on in one of the situations that he that you know he had to challenge it, and you know I, yeah. I I hate the fact that timeouts are that timeouts are taken away for challenges. I just I think that you still need to have, I think maybe you can just allow one challenge, but that doesn't affect your timeouts. Like I think that the fact because timeout I personally love that part of the game, and I don't I I I know that many people don't. They think that you know like the soccer thing where you don't never have timeouts or whatever. But I think that. I love the I love the strategy. Like, how cool was it before when like Lobby like called a timeout thirty eight seconds into a game in Boston? Like, like I mean, these things were like to me that was the great. But he would never he would never do that now because because mm-hmm. you know you don't if you call you call a timeout you can't challenge a possible play. So that I hate the challenge timeout thing. I think it's I don't know. I think it's more. I think this rule is more for the high sticking one. Yeah. Where, because again, that really should if you're really gonna waste everybody's time on that one, you should be penalized as a coach if you're not getting the call because that one should be left to the refs on the ice. Like they What's can get the refs saying that was really close. Uh, I'd like to see that again. Like I mean they they say they can make a make a call. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what's wrong with that? I mean to me it's 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 odd to me. Like the refs, you know they're they're sitting there waiting for a challenge because they're like, yeah, he may have been I that may have been I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think when you look at all these rule changes and, and like when they're saying you could just go straight to shootout, that's because they're worried about length of games and falling into a trap like MLB where yeah, I get that. games are just there too long. I get that, but I think college is, is – I think this is a weird thing for colleges. In some, I mean, I just think, that, again, I, I, I know length of games are strange in college, maybe, but, you know, really, if your hockey team doesn't have the rink as long as it wants to, what's, the, <laughs> what's going on? You know, like that's like – why do you care how long a game is in college? Like it's it's not on t- it's probably not on television and if it is on television that's I guess I can see that but and then more and more are on TV I know that but I, well, I don't I know think it's also this we that'll definitely never come to the NHL you know that's not like a rule that'll never no come no that NHL. part won't I think a lot of the others that I read could I yeah. think the issue with with what they're talking about as far as the if you want to go three on three for five minutes and then shoot out or just shoot out is you are dealing with students. And when you're extending games with students and they're already on the road, it's taking their time away from study. So I think that's where that one's that's more. That's a great point. I like that. That's a great point. I'll go with that one. I like that. That, that that's the best point so far. I do. But I'm telling you, the one for the for the changing, they should do that in the NHL immediately because there is a lot of cheating going on with line yeah. changes. Yeah. No, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not opposed to that either. I do agree that the line change thing is crazy, and you know. And Anthony will tell you for every for every one that we hear called. For too many players on the ice, they've gotten teams have gotten away with three or four already that game. We've seen it at least three. I I I can think of a game off the top of my head. I think it was I don't know if it was the Islanders or what with Philly with Philly, both sides. Yeah, four or five instances where they were definitely could have been a too many men on the ice call. Toronto Toronto was was I mean I I I don't have the stats. I tried to look them up while we were doing the you know a few minutes ago and I couldn't find it. But I'd be surprised if Toronto wasn't in the top five too many men on the ice penalties because they they pushed the envelope when it came. I think to- they called more this year than they have called. But at the same point, I think that I mean it is one of those things like a face off that you that it's all about how much you can cheat. You know, like it's one of those things, and that that is how that works, right? So that's what's kind of tricky about that is. Where is that line drawn? You know, you know. I mean, if you draw it within five steps, yeah, but it's still so hard to judge that. You know, I mean, and the fact that you know, like, I'm, I'm kind of not a fan of this aspect of too many men on the ice, and I don't know why teams don't do it more often. Like when a team is changing up, and like some defenseman just throws it towards that bench because it's going to hit somebody who's coming on or off the bench, right? And that's like you can you can create a too many men on the ice penalty that wouldn't have happened if you if that defense had shot at the other direction. Mm-hmm. So to me, to me, I don't know why more more players don't see the teams changing and throw it towards the bench, um, just because that you know gives them a chance. They do it enough. I mean, I see it all the time. It does happen, but I mean, it, 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 I think that it's something that it doesn't seem like it's conscious, like where you see like a guy like on the other side of the ice and his his easy out is this way, but he sees that everybody's changing and throws it over that way. Yeah, you don't see that. One of the people in the chat room was asking, "Is there a, a ref in the box that could look over things in NCAA?" I don't think they have that, but I believe I see the refs having iPads that they can look at right away. Do they have two refs in all NCAA games? Yeah. 
they do. Okay, I wasn't sure about all NCAA games. Yeah, and and but I think they have iPad access too. I'm pretty. Yeah. I'm 99.9. Games being filmed. I mean, now most games are being filmed these days, and I know yeah. that it's easy to put up a couple GoPros and stuff like that, and even film like there's things are being filmed without even cameraman now. But I think that you know that to me is the tricky is the tricky thing. Like we really should have just like a couple GoPros pointing straight down from the top of the ice to like to to determine these things and 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 colleges i mean it was simple enough to do you know just put the mayor and then you could go you know if you film in 4k you could zoom in on anything and be fine but yeah that's that, that it's interesting I, mean, I love i love the rules talk I, I don't know how many rules you know the nhl hasn't done a lot of I mean, that's like six things they changed in college yeah that's a lot the nhl hasn't done a whole lot of rule changing in the last couple of years they've really been where Except, they, know, they have done one and we didn't talk about it and we should talk about it now because you're here and you're a goalie, yeah. and they've reduced the chest pad now of goalie equipment again. Well, that I think is awesome, you know. And I think I think the goalie equipment is crazy. I think it's, I think it's ridiculously big. I don't think you should make the nets bigger. I don't believe in that. I believe in making the goalie pad smaller. So if I shoot 107 now at your chest, do you think that equipment's still good enough? Well, I think the technology shows that it is. I mean, we, we uh -huh. would. I mean, it's better than like the stuff that like you know Wayne Stevenson was facing back in. The <laughs> You know, I mean, and uh, granted, the shots were not were maybe twenty percent slower, but his equipment was definitely seventy five percent worse. You know, so it it hurt a lot more. And um, I mean, I still have, I still have chest protectors from that era myself that I would never wear playing an open hockey game right now. You know, that were worn in the NHL. So it's like, it's just that is crazy. I do think. I mean, it was funny because I heard I heard I think it was actually Rick Vive interviewed recently um, about yeah. this on XM. Um, and he was saying, you know, they're saying, uh, they, they tried to say, well, how good you, would you guys be in this era? And that's always such a crazy question to ask somebody, you know, from that other era. And he's like, well, it's, it's so hard to say because, you know, the goalies are way better, but their equipment is way better. And, you know, so the, the composite sticks make it easier to shoot, but the goalie equipment's better. So it, it, he's like basically saying he thinks it all kind of evens itself out. The, the year Rick Five scored 50 goals, I think he maybe scored 40% of them breaking down the right wing with a slap shot, and that would not happen anymore. Right, it would not happen now because, because you know, I mean, um, and goalie coaches is another thing. You know, that's also plays into it too. So we have all these, we talked about, you know, bringing it back to the beginning of the show, like goalie coaches, all this has changed so much for goalies. And, the you know, and Bernie Perron's, my but favorite all this, um, like I'm pretty sure this rule is taking effect because the goalies they're hiding the puck in their chest when it's they have a big piece of equipment there they can you know put the put the glove to the chest at what point though do they take away too much because they're worried about scoring because every think, league does it I think if you can make bulletproof bulletproof um you know protectors yes. for cops that they can run through you know and they barely show through their uniforms I think you can make smaller chest protectors i like i feel like you can like i feel like there's ways to do this that are not that, that don't you know because some of the some of the chest protectors get put add a lot of width to the goalies a lot of height on their shoulders we've seen that too like i mean um yeah i think that they can do that i mean i mean bernie Prant's one of my favorite lines when i got my first time i interviewed bernie Prant, when i asked what the difference was between him now and you know and the goalies back then is he's like we made saves they stopped the puck now which is still like which is so true like that's that that is the goalies now stop the puck where you know bernie Perron's era they actually made saves because they had smaller equipment and they they weren't in the butterfly and they had to make saves they it was all about reflexes so yeah sorry this came out of the chat room i believe that their ipads that they're using in ncaa one of the people in the chat room thinks that the N nhl is using amazon fire tablets do we know that that would be pretty cheap. No, they're, no, they're using iPads. They are. Okay. That's I know the wild use an iPad, but I don't know if everybody does. I'm it's sure the NCAA, and the NCAA team, I mean, the different there's a huge price difference there. I mean, I would think that NCAA Yeah, but there's they're in the they're built into the school budget, right? Like it's just to me yeah. it's a, the NFL, the NFL is using like Microsoft. Uh, what do you call it? Microsoft Touch? I, so I can see this is what I can see. I can see like I, I'm like a, you know, Microsoft's not Touch, whatever that's called. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a woman who plays field hockey, and they won't give us any new any new uh, sticks this year because they're putting fifteen hundred dollars into the iPad Pro for the for the uh, men's street men's ice hockey team. Right there, you go. Perfect. Thanks, thanks Anthony. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Um, definitely. And uh, so finally, rumor world a little bit today. Um, like I said, I was talking to. I mean, I've been chasing down the Panarin thing a little bit more, and I had it yesterday on on the blog that the Flyers actually, along with um. Montreal were the two teams that were the most aggressive. And the Flyers had the most to offer, according to my source. Um, and then, you know, you also still have you have other teams who are obviously still very much interested in this. Um, the Rangers being one of them. 
the same. I mean, the, I, the same thing. The same thing goes with Philadelphia. That goes with I think other teams is like I don't. First of all, you can say I'm wrong. I don't consider Philadelphia a serious Stanley Cup contender this year. Without the goaltending, they're not. I think they've got really good young defense. Yeah. And, you know, and the, and the the addition of Van Riemsdyk will help them up front. But unless you're talking about a Panarin for Simmons deal, or it's an exchange of guys, and you think then Columbus thinks they could get Simmons signed up long term, I don't see because I don't see Panarin re-signing in Philadelphia, and I don't see Philadelphia adding another high price forward to go along with Drew Voracek and JVR. So I, I don't know. I, I, they want, they were upset that they didn't talk to Zavaris. I mean, think about it. that. That means that 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 was like a sign that they that they have in their head at least. Hexel has in his head at least a budget that he can do something like this with. I mean, that's because, and I do think it would require Simmons to go, but, um, but you know, but then at the end of the day, cap goes up, you know, and, and Panarin apparently has said, has said Philadelphia is one of the teams he would play for. So, I mean, that, that I have heard a couple times now. So. Here's uh, the thing about the Flyers. I think, I think they will compete because for as long as teams like the Rangers, Devils and Islanders are sort of up in the air, it's the same as the Phillies right now in baseball. Like the Phillies are going to make the playoffs whether they're really that good or not because the East is bad. Right now the Metro is compromised to a bit, and and so I think there's an opening there for them to still make the playoffs and still not be as good as they're going to be, even right. with that goaltending. But they're but I, again, I think the most misunderstood upgrade they made was Christian Folan. He's better than Brandon Manning. That was a really good upgrade that will help them throughout the year. Right. Yeah, and and JVR is is a, is a huge upgrade too. I mean, he's, yes, but if they lose Simmons at some point, which I think they will, it'll counter that. But this year, particularly, I don't. I think they'll have both, and I think they. I think they'll manage most that. of the year. I think right, but right, but we were talking about this on previous shows, and the and the thought is that if they don't get Simmons signed on a contract, and right now, you know, I'm not sure who has the leverage. It makes more sense, even if they're in the playoff race, that they trade Simmons at the deadline because it's again, it's the argument of get something for an asset or let them not do that. Hextall will never do that. He will not. If they're in the, uh, for a couple of reasons, but one one of the reasons is that it, you know they what you've said already is the fact that it is wide open in the East, like as far as the metro goes, and and so if you're sitting there in the Flyers, you could be sitting in second place, and you're saying, okay. It's wide open in terms of getting in the playoffs. In terms of being a serious contender, I think there's three. Te- there's maybe three teams, and that's about it. It depends. I mean, you're right. I mean, it, you know, obviously you've got you know you've got to deal with Tampa, um, but it, it it depends on a lot of uh, a lot. I think it depends on so many situations. I mean, once and it also depends on where. I mean, we're all sitting there saying that this is going to be the goaltending for the year. I think that Art's going to be up at some point this year. I really do. I think that at some point he's going to. Work it, work his way, and, and they're going to get him in a couple games. And I think if they get him in a couple games, it's going to be tricky on how they handle it. And if they get injuries, they're going to have to bring him up. And I think that the first half of the year, for sure, he's a phantom. But I can see him going half a year as a phantom and accelerate a little bit. I could see that happening. I just think that, you know, especially if they're just getting horrible goaltending, or if they're if they're facing injuries like crazy, why would you not give that a shot? Um, if you give, I mean, bring him right into the NHL, that is that is a, a, a huge risk. But if he's for the, for the for the for the long for the long term development of him, if you rush him too early, especially you also have Simmons and Van Riems like this year. You have like there's a certain there's a little bit of a window made by that. I think that Simmons is going to go away, and like you know, at some point probably here, you know. But when you have it doesn't both, matter for the development of the player. You don't worry about that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, honestly, I think it's, it's if Stolarz is still in the organization, correct? Yeah. He's number three. The Lars will be the first call up if 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 uh, if either Elliot or um, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, no, oh, I think I think Lion may win the backup job. Or Lion, do so. Yeah, yeah you, you've, got two, you've got two guys with 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 NHL experience ahead of Hart. I think Hart is going to be the number one guy in Lehigh. He's going to play 50, 55 games. They're going to keep him down there and. I think he may get a game or two, but I just don't. I don't think they're going to throw him to the wolves this year. No. Yeah, actually. So Adam Odom gave me an update because I asked him during the regular season. Most teams just have monitors, but I think it was during the playoffs I saw uh, some tablets or something. So I guess that wasn't always the case. So they just have monitors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's good. Yeah, I think that this is. There's a lot of. Um, I mean, there's a lot to play with. If they like Panarin and they think they can get him. The Flyers are not going to back away from a superstar if they can get him. Um, and even if that, and they'll they'll find a way to make it work. They could move Voracek out there. I mean, that's like you can see that. It's not going to be easy to move him out of there, but they could move Voracek. Um, you know, and th- I think that 
they were very disappointed with Voracek last year, so I wouldn't be shocked at all to see his name come up at some point if they can get Panarin. Um, but you know that. But the problem is, okay, if they get if they get Panarin, I still think Panarin's going to take offers from all teams. Even if the Rangers get him, I still think he's going to take offers from all teams. They may have an inside track on him, whoever this next team that gets him is. But I still think he's going to look at what's out there. The Flyers would have to move Voracek before they even go any further with talking to Panarin, and that gets a little tricky. And that mitigates the value that Kekalainen can ask for Panarin because nobody's going to give up a packet consistent with a Panarin signed long-term for a Panarin that's going to test the market. If he's a one-year rental, there's a certain limit of what a team is going to give up, just like with Carlson, just like with Panarin. So good. moving on to Pacioretty. Um, the, name that the, the name that they really want in Montreal is, is of course, Shea, right? Um, Brady Shea. Right. So that's, that's the question I have for you, Russ. Do you do that? So this is for Pacioretty? For Pacioretty with an extension. No. Not a chance in hell. Not yeah. a chance in hell. That's what, that's what Montreal wants. Um, we'll see you later. Yeah, they're not going to – the Rangers won't do it because even though they have Ryan Lindgren, who they traded for, and I think he's going to be an excellent NHL defenseman, I mean, you're really – you take away Brady Shea, I mean, you're, you're, looking, you're, you're looking at Shattenkirk and – Stahl and – Stall, and then at some point Lingren will be, you know, a number two instead of like a number four. Yeah. Like just, Angelo. I mean, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, no. it, 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 they can't do it. They they they're smart enough to know what they have to sort of keep on defense. They're not that deep on defense with prospects. They're just not. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. But that's what Montreal is looking for. So we'll see. I mean, I mean. I don't think that that's going to happen either, but I just uh, – that, that is definitely – no, If they're asking for defense from the Islanders, I don't know if it's going to happen. Or from the Devils, I don't know if it's going to happen. So yeah. maybe he does go to Florida. I mean, Florida's got, you know, a little bit more defense than – Well, Florida's the one team that they know they can extend them with. So it's like the same right. – So that's like – and that's the that's the benefit there. So that – there is something to that. We'll see. I mean, that the, the, it is interesting, though, the Panarin thing actually – for the first time, I got people to admit to me that it is a domino and of sorts with with other guys, Pacioretty and with Skinner. So there is a domino going on. Panarin has sort of jumped to the front of that pack. Skinner seems dead. Like the whole Skinner talks and and Falk seems dead. And I don't understand why, unless the asking price is just too much. Asking price is crazy, but also we've got these other guys. And and Carolina's feeling is like, well, we're going to wait to see who doesn't get Pacioretty, who doesn't get these guys. And that's a really he's going to start by that. Yeah, it is. it is. I know. I agree. Uh, that's all the time we have, guys, for today. Thanks so much for watching. Remember to go to Hockey Buzz. I mean, I'm sorry. Go to Patreon. We go to Hockey Buzz for sure. But go to Patreon.com slash hockey to support the show. We really appreciate that. Um, and this is the logo. You, we're going to be getting T-shirts out to people, so it's kind of fun. Um, remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.